This episode contains discussion of the topic of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Creators by Moonlight. Real conversations with content creators. Matthew Maniak is a filmmaker based in Jacksonville, Florida. Despite still being in his early 20s, he already has an accomplished resume of finished projects. In this interview, he talks about the pain that led to filmmaking, lots of advice for other up-and-coming producers, and how he's been able to turn his passion into a career that pays the bills. I was uh, born in in Massachusetts, um, lived there for a few years, and then uh, my dad's job took us down to uh, North Carolina uh, to like the Raleigh apex area. So lived there for a few years. And it was during that time that I was living in North Carolina that I uh, actually went through a, a pretty severe depression. I didn't really feel like there was any sort of value in my life and what I was doing. Part of the depression was uh, related to, to school and some of the encounters that I was having there. There was a lot of bullying going on. I was never big into sports. I was never big into anything like that, that all the other kids were, were into. I was always like not really doing a whole lot in, in gym class and people would, would make fun of me because of that. As a kid, I, I, I always kind of had this extra creative flair and I was like, like oh, I want to do this. I want to kind of go down this route and, and, and make this happen. And I, I had a lot of people that had said to me, that's like, oh, you can't do that. You got to go the safe route. like. Uh, medicine or law or things like that and although those things are important and and I definitely respect and value them in my life today for sure um, it was just wasn't a path that I could see myself going down and um, it was just very constant the kind of the 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 duration that I was getting from my peers that early on in my life and and although of course looking back it's like oh it's just kids being kids um, in the heat of the moment, the, the, the mental health toll um, really was nothing to, to joke about. Like it was, it was just very, very consistent, very constant. Um, and this aspect of me kind of being like a, a black sheep, so to speak, in, in that environment, it just wasn't doing me very well mentally and, and uh, emotionally. Um, and, and, and during that time, there were, there were points where I was considering suicide and there was actually at one point I got very close to doing it. I was actually in the process of committing it when those words of if you do this now, there's no hope for what could be really kind of rang true. And it was in that moment that I was like, all right, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll give myself a week to get myself out of this, this hole that I'm in. And if I find that thing that's going to get me out of this hole, I will stick with that for the rest of my life. If I don't, then I'm going to come back and finish what I started. During that time, that 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 week um, is, is when I technically picked up the pen and really kind of started diving into this this writing journey um, that I've thus kind of stuck with and kind of branched out from uh, over the course of the past ten years. Really, writing is kind of what took up a lot of my my childhood and uh, early adulthood, and it was actually out of that. Um, that film kind of came into the picture. I was always asking myself, I was like, I, I love writing, I love doing this, but ultimately I wanted to find a way to bring those stories to life. And so for me, that was either going to mean uh, going into theater or going into film. And as a kid, um, I really, for whatever reason, <laughs> I, I couldn't sit through a whole whole uh, theatrical performance and, and, and movies were, were more my thing. So I was like, you know what, I'm a dive into this and so that um that that initial dive into the film world of uh like of videos and filmmaking uh started in 2012 since then it just kind of kicked off into this journey that i've, I've kind of led to this day starting off i was actually just kind of writing little mini stories in my english notebook with my friends uh, and I just kind of going on these crazy adventures and stuff. Like there was like us 
fighting dragons and like the mountains or something like that. Like, like just like small insignificant stories now that like looking back, they were like, oh, okay, like that's, it's crazy to think that we go from writing something like that to directing a zombie apocalypse. It was 2012 when kind of the film side of things started to kick in a little bit more. Back then, I I really wasn't paying attention to like actors or directors or anything like that. That was like a major thing. Like now, I'm like, all right, Christopher Nolan, uh, Matt Reeves, Gareth Edwards are definitely like the top three directors that I take uh, creative inspiration from um, in in my work today. Um, but back then, I was I was I've I've always been a fan of of action films and and things that are written uh intelligently and smartly like um now you see me it was like a heist thriller with like magicians and stuff like that but it was uh really well done i think uh at least the first one the 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 second one was a little bit weaker but it was still very well done in my opinion but things like that that kind of have this this kind of creative smart edge to it um i mean like like looking at like money heist today is something that i would have loved to watch 10 years ago (laughs) even still um, I mean, I, I, I love watching it. Even today, I just finished the the last season, which was fantastic. Highly recommend it. Yeah, like back then, it was always like action films. I was a big Transformers fan, Fast and Furious movies, guilty pleasure, so to speak. <laughs> um, uh, what else was there? Star Wars, of course, um, things like that. And 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 at that point, for me, it was it was more of a kind of an escapism than anything. Uh, being able to kind of like go into these stories, go into these worlds, and sort of watch these characters go through these trials was, was always something that really uh, spoke to me. And, and just not only from like an entertainment standpoint, but from the standpoint of like, maybe I could learn something from, from their stories or from their, their trials, their tribulations and things like that. So I went to Douglas Anderson, uh, which is a arts high school here in Florida or in, in Jacksonville. Um, I, I went there for their uh, cinematic arts program for four years, a- along with like taking all your traditional high school classes. They they offered this 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 really great film program um, where I, I learned a lot and kind of got the basics of filmmaking um, from like a technical and of of a refined creative process, I should say. From there, I tried to get into uh, like a, a film program at a couple different colleges. The, the one that I was really kind of pushing for was uh, Florida State University. So I, I went there for two years, um, ended up not getting into film school, but getting my associate's degree. And that actually was the best thing that could have happened to me because it opened me up to getting some uh, really awesome opportunities over here in Jacksonville and, and elsewhere. And I, I, I have to say that I would not be able to seize the opportunities that I have today if I had not left college early and not gone to uh, a four-year college program. Still at a young age, Matthew was free to pursue filmmaking without scholarly limitations. In film, he expanded upon the writing to which he had previously dedicated himself. I'd say that uh, the three biggest projects that I've done personally over the course of my budding film career i guess we can call it um the first one is the short film of after the fall uh, which i did back in 2017 uh, back in high school is my senior thesis film and um it's funny because uh i'd gone to it to an arts high school where the vast majority of the other kids in the class were, were major major fans of like wes anderson um and these like really like high art directors which i i i I do enjoy good west anderson film as much as as much as the next person but i could not ever see myself putting that level of detail that level of creative art flair that that nuanced flair i i guess i can say into a film like it was just too much for me to do myself and so i was in an environment that was very much that mindset and then i come in here very much like michael bay Christopher Nolan, let's put together an action film, do some zombie action sequences and all that good stuff. So uh, kind of starting there and, and kind of building from that, I was like, okay, how can I blend these two? And so I'd originally come up with this concept that would have been more more artsy in nature, but not kind of really narratively driven. It was going to be, be more experimental in nature. And um, I had one of my uh, teachers there. He's like, I like it, but we, 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 we got to make it more narrative. And I was like, okay. 
So um, I kind of put some thought and, and some energy into kind of creating this this story of blending what I was trying to do with the original version that was more experimental and a more narrative structure. And so what that ended up being was uh, putting more of a focus narratively on the psychological impacts of an individual that goes through that kind of uh, apocalyptic event and survives it. What the results of their actions are on them subconsciously and psychologically and um, really just kind of honing in on that aspect. And so in the short film, we, we, we kind of step into the shoes of a character who has survived this zombie apocalypse, um, but she's only ever seen like the infected essentially for uh, about a year. Um, she's never had any other encounters with, with other uh, human in individuals. Uh, we basically, of course, uh, have this, this instance where she runs into another human and um, some things happen and really kind of how that interaction with another human after so long impacts this character as an individual. Um, and so where the short film ends, we pick up in the feature film about a, about a year later, I think, and um, we start to see how the impacts of, of what happened in the short film continue to, to develop within this character and how they manifest themselves in her behavior and then also thrusting her into this world of like doggy dog that is much more violent and much more dark than she's used to um which is really saying something concerning is a zombie apocalypse like really kind of looking at like how would her character survive and how would her character adapt to this ever this changing landscape to this changing environment and how does that the psychological impacts of what happened between her and this other survivor how does that play into her development as character here um and i think it's a really really awesome really really cool concept to explore and and being able to write it and and, and explore it physically in in making it um was just a really really awesome experience um to to be a part of uh and to, and to lead but i would say the third one um that i i, I can kind of leave us with here is um, the Amazon Prime show Deathless uh, that I did while I was in college um, with Alignment Entertainment. I, I, it was funny how that came about. I was doing, um, I was like new to the area of Tallahassee, trying to network with local filmmakers, and so I'd gone to this like networking event. And afterwards, uh, this gentleman, uh, his his name is Thomas. Uh, he walked up to me and he's like, "Hey, I, I got a, a story for you." I was like, "All right, tell me about it." His his pitch was a little bit long, and and he and I have had numerous conversations about shortening this pitch because it was like thirty minutes. But um, it was like from what he was telling me, it, 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 like it sounded really cool. And I, I at the end of the day, I was just like, all right, send me a script, I'll check it out. And um, uh, when I finally got to sit down and read it, I was like, this is really good, and I, I love the characters. I love kind of what the story is trying to portray, and I think we can do something really cool here. And so I, I'll always remember, I was on a phone call with him I, I, and I asked him, I was like, so what are your plans for this? He's like, YouTube. I was like, no. <laughs> and so we, we, we then decided we were going to really kind of put our heads together and um, try to make something really, really, really great that we could get onto a streaming platform. And fast forward to 2019, uh, we were able to get that, uh, that seven episode series onto Amazon Prime Video in four countries the US, UK, Germany, and Japan. Um, so it, it, it's available now to check out and, 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 and view. So uh, if, if you guys haven't seen that yet, be sure to check that out on Amazon. I still always keep in mind what an audience is going to want to engage with or, or listen to or watch. Um, and, and even back then, I like thinking of like the, the dragons and stuff like that, that my friends and I would fight, like even during that time, like that was like a big thing with like, Harry Potter and um, what was it uh, Aragon? I think was another sort of big one that came out back then. But like things like that, right? Is it's like there's a balance that I think that exists between writing exactly what you want and writing for an audience. And I think learning to blend those things is where like that kind of sweet spot lies. Because if you always write something that or create something that it's just for you. In, in my opinion, like that's that's your audience, and you're making it for you, and it, it's 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 definitely fine to do that from time to time. I'm, I'm not saying go fully one way or go fully the other, but I think that if you make something 
that you would enjoy for other people. I think that that's where kind of that sweet spot where the film creative and the film businessman or businesswoman can meet and, and do some really great things together. Despite recognizing the filmmaking hubs are elsewhere, Matthew has decided to make Florida his workspace for the time being. He's able to offer plenty of advice to those just getting started with filmmaking. I'm still in Jacksonville right now, uh, predominantly uh, where I live. But um, if, if you ask just about anyone else, they'll, they'll say that I live in my car because I'm, I'm always driving somewhere, um, whether that be Orlando or Tampa or St. Pete. I was just in St. Pete uh, two weeks ago uh, or like Tallahassee or Miami. I'm, 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 I'm pretty much all over the state of Florida, but I, I, I live in, in Jacksonville. For Jacksonville, I, I think that um, there's definitely a lot of talent here. There really is. Um, I've, I've met a lot of really fantastic people that are very talented and very skilled at what they do in the film world. But I think where the disconnect is between, say, Jacksonville and like Atlanta is the sort of hunger and sort of drive and, and the level of execution that I think is really needed to, to excel and to really break through in this industry. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that here in Jacksonville, I've, I've met a lot of talented people, but I've also met a lot of people that are complacent in, in being say a big fish in a small pond, which is completely okay. Like you, you, you can't have an industry without those kinds of people, but I know a lot of people that talk big and, and wanting to really kind of become this this academy award-winning actor actress director producer filmmaker etc but without being able to make that leap of faith in yourself and, and go to these major hubs like atlanta new york la things like that that's where the money is that's where the business is that's where people are going and films are going because of their tax incentives and tax breaks and things like that because it makes it makes more business sense to film in those locations where the production will be able to save money or take advantage of those tax incentives. Whereas with Florida, we don't really have that or our processes are a bit more convoluted than like in Atlanta and and things like that. So I've met a lot of people that have gotten started in Jacksonville and have moved to Atlanta, but like there's also a lot of people that I've met that like, again, have this big talk, but are still living here. The way that I see it is there's a way to bring the film industry here, but it's not by just kind of sitting here doing our own our, our own thing in our own circles and hoping that the film industry notices because it won't. I think the way to do it would be to go make those connections, make those like to network and, and to start creating these projects outside of Florida and then finding little ways to bring them back to Florida. So maybe not filming an entire film in Florida, but looking at, okay, we're going to Atlanta, we're filming predominantly in Atlanta, but it would make sense to have this one scene on Miami beach because it's going to look great and it's going to make sense with the story. And then by doing that inch by inch, little by little, people are going to start to see what Florida really has to offer in terms of its people, in terms of its geography and things like that. And I think by doing that is kind of being able to put Florida and say Jacksonville on the map in, the, in, in a film sense, I think, is where the opportunity lies. Talking to a lot of people, um, a lot of people make the argument to specialize in, in say, one or two things, which I, I, I do agree with that to, to some extent. But I also feel that having a generalist knowledge of everything is important because then it's like you at least know how to read like a soundbar or, or, or how to read like levels and things like that, how to read the histogram on a camera and things like that, to be able to, to make sure that you're quality controlling your own film um, or your own project. Uh, I, I think that, that that's very important throughout the process of, of learning how to make films and learning how to do what I do. There was always this aspect that I wanted to know how to do everything. So that way I could at least know, how to qualify the people that I was working with. Cause it's like, if, if you know absolutely nothing about say how to work a camera, someone could walk in and shoot the entire thing underexposed and they could tell you, Oh, you can boost it in post. But in reality, it's just going to look worse in post when you boost something that's underexposed and, or, or, or something to that extent. So being able to, 
to have a generalist knowledge, to be able to be aware of what is good, what is quality and, and what is not, and how to avoid certain pitfalls, I think, is, is going to help anyone that's trying to kind of get into this industry um, at a base level. Before we kind of get into any aspect of what to learn about, I think it makes more sense to look at where does your interest lie. If you're more naturally drawn to, say, writing, it's going to make sense to start there as opposed to try to learn how to run a camera and then rewind it back to the scripts writing stage and things like that. So really to, to kind of go down the list, so to speak, um, if you're looking to kind of learn how to write a screenplay, um, definitely look at how to format it, how to write effective characters, how to write engaging dialogue in, in, in memorable moments, how to write cinematically. And, 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 and a way to do that is, is read. Um, there's a lot of books out there on on the uh, the process of screenwriting and the, the film industry as a whole. So um, go on Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble or wherever you you, you buy books, and um, start doing your research. Um, start reading into those subjects in those areas that interest you. Like if you're looking to to pick up a camera, learn how to properly expose it, learn your ISO, learn your aperture and your shutter speed, and how they all interconnect to create the images that you see on screen. Look at what lenses make sense for your story um, and, and, and kind of how different glass creates a different image and how different cameras handle colors um, and, and, and things like that, I think are gonna be super important to really kind of getting that, that knowledge together. Looking at editing, right? Look at what programs are out there and, and which one has the best user interface for you. I mean, I use the, the Adobe Creative Suite. I highly recommend the Adobe Creative Suite, but like the color grade that you can get in DaVinci Resolve is gonna, always gonna be be beautiful. So um, really kind of doing your shopping, doing your your own research is, is what's gonna be the most beneficial as opposed to any sort of bullet points that I could say here, because ultimately someone could start researching cameras and then find out that thing that they thought that they loved the most about creating images was the light. And then they can learn how to do very cinematic lighting and, and, and how color and light interact and work together with the camera to, of course, create the images that we see on screen. The, the whole aspect of, of how does one get the gear that they need to make these films and to really take advantage of, of the market in, in, in that way. For me, I, when I first started, I just asked for a, like a camera from uh, Christmas or something. And um, I, I got little Sony Handycam back in 2012 for Christmas. And um, that's kind of where it started. Um, and then I would save some money. And, and actually, I think, was it two years later, three years later? Uh, I got the Canon T3i as another, as another Christmas present because things were starting to move forward a little bit. I was like, I need a better camera. Mom, please help. <laughs> and so as time progressed and I got a job uh, and, and, and doing things like that, I was able to make more money and to fund more equipment. So the, the biggest thing that, that helped me at that point was um, finding a way to produce consistent income. Um, and for me, that was a part-time job here in Jax. But I got to say, if, if you're kind of in, in that space of you've got a camera and you're really trying to save up for like a bigger camera or a better setup or getting some new lenses or, or some new lights that are going to be a little more pricey, I would say look at kind of staging yourself in, in, in a specific way and, and finding a way to monetize the equipment that you already have. Uh, so for example, right now, I predominantly shoot on a Sony mirrorless camera, the A6600. Um, and I've got some uh, decently fancy equipment to kind of go along with it. Um, but I found a way to, to monetize that in a way where by doing a couple of videos, I can then level up eventually to getting say like a black magic or I've actually been looking at the new DJI 4D um, that is coming out or is, is already out. They announced it a couple months ago, uh, but it looks really, 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 really awesome as like a gimbal cinema camera all in one, which is crazy to me. I would say to anyone out there that's looking to like upgrade or to start gearing up at, at a heavier level is uh, find a way to monetize the equipment that you already have. So that way the equipment essentially will pay for itself. Um, and then by doing that, you'll be able to level up faster and, and get new equipment faster and ultimately raise your prices faster. And then eventually you're just profiting. 
the thing with with whether or not to start on, on a feature or a short or a pilot, the real kind of root of it is is you got to learn how to walk before you can run, and you got to learn how to crawl before you can walk. So I would say if if you're just starting out, get your start in short films. Don't dive into this like dive into it feet first if you're if you're wanting to do it, but don't dive in feet first into a feature film. Do it incrementally. Build your skills. Build your your knowledge. Uh, and your network, um, doing short films at first. And then I would say once you're feeling comfortable and confident in your skill sets to do that, then it makes sense to jump into the the, the world of, of pilots and uh, features because there's a, a level of complexity and a level of financial pressure, I would even say too, is a big one that a lot of people don't even really consider most of the time. There's a lot of these other aspects that you might be able to get away with on short films that you won't be able to get away with on features. Um, I mean, if, if you're doing a, a short film, you can probably get some friends together, do something fun, just kind of get started um, without having to pay anyone really anything. Maybe it's like you, you, you all, you, like you cover lunch for people, but if you're doing a feature film, then it's like, okay, you might be able to get people to work for free. But at that point you should be looking to like pay for multiple meals, reimburse for gas, provide lodging, things like that. The biggest thing in the indie film world that separates a short film from a feature film is the financial side, taking a bigger uh, chunk of focus, I would say, compared to uh, like a short film. Sound is is very important to any film, and and anyone that's ever made a film will say that, and anyone that's ever watched a film will say that. <laughs> when it comes to sound, a lot of people think that they can just kind of mount the microphone on a camera, shoot it, and call it a day. Which, I mean, if you're getting started like, and, and you're making your first like just YouTube short film and that's all that you can do, then I would say that that's fine. That, like, that's what I did. I'm guilty of that myself. But when it comes down to like creating these more cinematic films that you're trying to shop around, trying to sell, trying to send out to film festivals, you got to think of it as, as building blocks. And, and sound is, in, in a way, you're making an entirely new film in just audio. Um, so like for doing after the fall, uh, one thing that I was really kind of wanting to hone in on in the post-production world. Um, and, and I've, I've been working with a really, really, really great team to do that is, um, uh, basically recreating the film in, in audio space. Kind of what that means is looking at every sound that you think that you could hear or that you're, that you know that you can hear, I should say, um, in a frame looking at the not just the dialogue not just the the background wind but like the crunch of boots on twigs and the rustling of leaves as uh, a gunman kind of moves through the forest or something like that those little things the rustling of, of a backpack on a jacket those those little little itty bitty sounds that that might seem insignificant but going back and re-recording those sounds and then embedding them into your film you're going to basically create the, this this depth of atmosphere that is going to translate much better to the finished product because um, I, I forget what the exact saying is, but it's like people can forgive bad visuals or subpar visuals if you have great sound, but people won't forget or won't forgive subpar sound if you have great visuals. In my own experience, that that has been the case. And it's like, if you've got a great looking film, it's going to be nothing if you don't have great sound to accompany it as, as far as working with actors I, i've really only had good experiences working with with talent um i, I can't say that i that i've worked with bad actors but I've, I've worked with bad actors if that makes sense i mean that, that probably doesn't but like people wise i I've, I've only worked with with good actors performance wise i've i've worked with with the full spectrum but that comes with the territory that comes with um with making any film you're going to have your your stars that are like completely in embedded within the characters. And then you're going to have the, the more like new green uh, actors that, that are just kind of getting into it and, and might need a little extra coaching to, to really kind of embrace the character more. So like taking that into consideration, I can't really say any, I would say actionable advice other than just being a, like a good person, being opening, being open to learn more um being able to go forward and do the research for yourself looking at what are some ways new ways that maybe i didn't consider before 
that I can use to embody this character. Um, asking the question of how would this character act and, and, or how would this character behave and how would this, this particular event, like what motivates my character to act this way and, and really kind of deep diving into that. I mean, as far as like the actor's mindset and the actor's process, I, I feel like that's different for everyone, but I'm, I'm, I can't really speak to that being that I've never really acted, but when it comes to the, like the business application of it and, and, and the business application of acting, I would just say always be looking for new ways to enhance your craft, to enhance your skill set, and to um, take advantage of new opportunities. And just be willing to learn, be willing to to be coached um, from people that might be further ahead than you. And and but I mean, I, I feel like a lot of this also applies outside of the acting world. It, it also applies to like the directing world, the cinematography world. It's it's like just being a good person and and, and being willing to set your ego aside um and 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 be willing to um take constructive criticism and constructive feedback and and then in in instances of constructive feedback dive deeper into it ask those questions that are like okay how can i become better at this how can i become like attached to this character uh and things like that i i would say that that that'd probably be my my best advice for for actors my like entire thing on on after the fall was was trying to be as as communicative as possible um particularly that we experienced a a big uh roadblock that occurred when when we went into lockdowns because of the whole covid-19 thing as a producer or as a filmmaker as as any sort of project manager communication is key i i noticed this after a couple of shoots that there were a, a few people on the team with after the fall the the feature film that were not as communicative as they should have been and and so it, it really kind of was a stressor on me as as the producer and project manager essentially to make sure that we could continue to produce this thing and make this thing happen if i wasn't getting the confirmations if i wasn't getting uh the information that i needed from people when i needed it to be able to make the best decisions for everybody because it's like a, a lot of people didn't realize i think that we had people coming in from way out of state to to be a part of the film and it's like if say my camera guy is not going to be there i need to know so i can reschedule or things like that and then i mean yes uh emergencies do come up and 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 like i respect those whenever they do but like there were times where there were certain people that would like call or text me the night before just saying oh hey i can't make it and then they wouldn't tell me why until then i could like night time the next day it's like uh i can't be dealing with that and so um, when it comes down to communication, the, the way that I've found is that that has worked best for me is give people the, the full plan. And then every time that say like there's a shoot coming up or there's a piece of information, you, you always got to make sure that, that you tell people three or four times, like to the point that they start to get annoyed with you. Because like for me, as an example, I would publish the, the shoot dates for the entire, like the entire film. And then every week, I, I think I would send out what, like, like a five-day notice, uh, a three-day notice, and then like a two-day notice, and then like the day before, I would send out like it'd be it'd be the same sort of email, like copy and paste for the most part, but just making sure that everybody was fully aware of anything that was going on, any updates, and that there was no way that that anyone could reasonably say, "Oh, I didn't know," because if they said that after receiving six emails about the same thing followed up by a text message, uh, maybe one, two, maybe three text messages and a phone call, then there's no way that you don't know if something's going down or how something's going to flow. And then at that point, it's like, okay, it, it's not that you didn't know, it's that you just either didn't pay attention or you, you don't want to be a part of this. Even though the, the emails may be annoying, I actually have had people come up to me like after the fact and say, hey, I really appreciated how thorough you are with communicating updates to people and, and, and to me. That's kind of the way that I've, I've kind of uh, built my own process up, and, and I've found that it works out very well, as annoying as I know it can sometimes be to the people on the receiving ends of those emails. But the film's done. Matthew's commitment to filmmaking led him to be one of the youngest attendees at the American film market, where industry professionals gather to buy and sell completed projects. 
I, I went to the uh, the American film market back in 2019 with Thomas. Uh, we, we were shopping around in Deathless, uh, as well as uh, the scripts for um, After the Fall and another project with Alignment Entertainment um, at the time. We did make a lot of really fantastic connections, some of which we've actually continued to retain and, and, and work with to this day across the country and across the world. So they're like, I would say that if, if you have a film that is complete, definitely consider going to the American film market uh, out in Santa Monica. I believe they hold it every year in November. And it's really just a great opportunity to meet other other film business people. And, and potentially, like I said, if, if you have a completed film, going there and, and shopping around, seeing if uh, who you can meet and, and, and potentially arranging a, a, a buy uh, for your film, I, I think is going to be really, really awesome to do, even if you like even if you're just starting out and, and don't have any established names in your film, um, you're still going to be able to to glean a lot and, and and take a lot out of that experience. I would highly recommend it. Um, I, I probably wouldn't go every year um, unless you have a new film every year that that you're shopping. Um, but for for someone like me, I think probably going every every three to four years I think would be be beneficial for me. At the time, I had just turned 21, so I was easily the youngest person. Um, attending the, the AFM, but surprisingly, like everybody that I met was very, very polite. It was very like non-abrasive. I would say there, there, there were some characters. I, I, I will admit, but nothing ever that that struck me as like, oh, I don't feel welcome here, like or like, oh, I feel like I'm just kind of the odd man in the corner. Because um, ultimately, at, at the end of the day, we're all there for the same reason because we love to make films and we love to make money. And that's where I think AFM and the community around AFM thrives is because you're, you're meeting with so many like-minded people. It's, it's the exact same thing that you would experience, say, at a film festival as like an actor. If you go to a film festival as an actor, you're going to meet other actors that love to make films. You're going to meet other producers and directors and cinematographers that love to make films. And at the end of the day, you'll probably end up working with, with at least one of them that you meet on something within the next year. And, and like I said, AFM is kind of the same way. It's like you, you'll meet people that have made films successfully and now are, are coming to, to shop them and sell them around and stuff like that. And um, by kind of interacting with, with other people like that and, and, and like-minded people in that space, you're going to learn learn things that, that, you, that you didn't know before on one hand and also potentially even get the opportunity to work with them on other things in the future. But I think the biggest thing that, be that benefited me from my age going into that into that space was the way that I carried myself. Um, so I was always like wearing a suit. I was always like keeping my outward appearance very professional and, and my mannerisms were always very professional and, and things like that. And so I, I really didn't let age kind of be a deterring factor for anyone. And so I would say like, if you're on the younger side, looking to step into these kinds of meeting rooms and things like that, um, just get familiarized with kind of how those events and how those people and how those those circles carry themselves and, and the knowledge base that they have and learn how to speak their language because if you can do that you'll fit right in recently matthew has focused on building a marketing business and on types of filmmaking that allow him to earn ample income i've continued to follow that that writing path and, and from writing in a journal to writing screenplays to filming screenplays. And then of course now looking at the aspect of, Oh, I've, I've got to put money in the bank and food on the table and all, all that good stuff. The aspect that's kind of branched off from that has kind of been this, this marketing business that I'm that I'm running, um, being able to do videos, do uh, web design to do, social media, which in, in different ways all kind of ties back into the creative process of filmmaking and storytelling. It's just expressing itself in a new format. Um, and so being able to kind of play both sides of that card has been very, very liberating um, and, and, and very, very fun. Um, I actually really enjoy everything that's kind of going on in my life right now in that in that way. And, and being able to, to kind of share that that creative process of the film world and of the writing world in a way that is commercially applicable and commercially viable. Marketing is arguably one of the most important aspects of making the film because you can have the best film ever. Like you can make Citizen Kane 2, so to speak, but it's not going to go anywhere if no one sees it. 
Like it's not, it's going to be worth absolutely nothing. All of the time, all the energy, all the money that you put into it is not going to be worth anything if no one watches it. And so that being said, it's always good to kind of designate a portion of your film's budget. Or if you have no budget, then at least come up with some sort of free marketing strategy to be able to push your film out somewhere. So if, if that's a short film on YouTube, maybe look at different Facebook groups, like YouTube or Facebook groups that you can join, do your link sharing in um, different film groups that are local to be like, hey, I filmed this film locally, check it out and, and, and share it with your friends, family, get them to share um, and things like that, that are going to help push the film out. Because it's like, particularly looking at social media and, 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 and how prevalent that is in our society and in our marketplace today, you really never know who's watching. Like you could make a TikTok one day and then the next day Lucasfilm could reach out to you and say, Hey, I, I, I like, I like what you do with this video. Can you, uh, we, we, we want to offer you a job doing lightsaber VFX on the next star Wars film or something like that. Um, so there really is no limitations to what can be accomplished utilizing social media, but the key is to learn how to use, how to utilize social media and come up with strategies and campaigns that are going to push your film farther and potentially even target specific groups, communities, things like that, that are going to engage with your film more so than others. If you have the money to, to put a marketing budget behind your film, great. I, I think that that's very important that you do that. Um, looking at like Facebook ads, again, harkening back to the social media, if you can get placements in, in like local papers or local news outlets or in news broadcasts, like that's going to help your local engagement and, and your local press. Um, and just finding different ways really to kind of get your name and to get your film's name out there is really going to be key, honestly, to anyone seeing it. Being completely honest, I, I, I left my comfort zone a long time ago because uh, most people would not believe this if I say that I'm actually an introvert because of how prominent I try to be on social media. And whenever I'm at these events, I'm always like trying to meet new people. Deep down, I don't like talking to people. I just like kind of having my own little little circle of peace and quiet. But to make it in the film world and practically in marketing, that's not something that you can do and get away with and make money essentially doing. So I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta not be the guy that huddles in the corner because that was me all throughout middle school and high school. I was always the guy that would like huddle in the corner and just kind of think about life in, in like at prom or. Uh, homecoming or whatever the dances were back in high school and middle school and all that that like I was always just kind of like there drinking my coca-cola watching everybody else party and I was just like that's cool but not for me of course now it's like all right I gotta meet people I gotta uh, carry myself a certain way and, and really just kind of be able to to engage with this this industry and and that introverted side of me just won't survive and it hasn't survived it, it, it's had to kick the bucket uh, and 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 I've I've had to definitely become much more extroverted and, and and break out of that that comfort zone definitely within the past three years more so than preceding seven. Film has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat for like for me in the past year just because after the fall has been in post production and it's kind of been on other teams while I while I just kind of oversee. But by doing wedding videos, doing commercials, corporate videos, web videos, social media content capture for businesses and the individuals and artists and things like that, it's really kind of allowed me to like explode financially. About a year ago, before I started really kind of diving into this, like into the commercial application of things, I was really only kind of doing 20, maybe 30 grand a, uh, a year. And, and, and now there are times where I can do 15,000 in, in one month just by doing like the same sort of skill set that I use on the film set, just apply to say weddings or, or commercials and things like that. So by embracing that side of the, of the filmmaking skill set, it's allowed me to thrive financially and, and, and personally. But I will say that I think there is a, a disconnect between what constitutes a filmmaker and what constitutes a commercial filmmaker or commercial videographer. I, I think that that's where a lot of people get confused. So I, I would say that that in my mind, a filmmaker is the one that's doing like short films, feature films, Hollywood essentially. And then having the distinction of commercial videographer or, or commercial cinematographer, I think is more applicable, of course, on like the business uh, or like the, the, the small business commercial application of things. 
there there's place where, where they can overlap because it's like when you're doing a commercial you're, you're going through the same process you're creating a story you're telling a story you're appealing to certain emotions telling the stories of these characters and all that good stuff that you would do on a film set but i think it's it's just also looking at what the overarching public considers to be a film versus a commercial i think that's where people sometimes miss on on being able to like look at look at it from an outside standpoint right you and I or whatever, we can all argue all day about what, what constitutes a filmmaker. I guarantee you that if you go out on the street and you ask someone that has no idea like the difference, um, and you say, hey, what do you consider a filmmaker? And then they'd probably say, oh, someone that did a movie. It's like, all right, cool. And then you're like, okay, what's a, a commercial videographer? Oh, someone that, that shoots commercials. So it's kind of like taking the the, the overarching public's viewpoint on it and then look at it through through their eyes because at, at, at that point if you're marketing yourself as a filmmaker you're going to cater to a specific audience of people and then if you market yourself as a commercial videographer you'll do the same thing just in a different way the the argument about when is a good time to raise your rates and how to raise your rates um it, it's it's something that i struggled with a lot when i was starting out and it's something that a lot of the students that i teach always are asking me about it's actually very, very prevalent in the the small small time industry and things like that, small business industry. At least for me, the the biggest thing was I was I was doing a lot of the same types of shoots that I'm doing now commercially, even back then. But I was doing them for such a low rate, like a hundred dollars a day. And um, I mean, for starting off, that was like it was good for me. But at the same time, I was like, I am so exhausted all the time. I'm working super hard on top of working a day job. And I'm like, I'm exhausted and I'm really just, just barely breaking even financially. And then it was like, okay, like I, I, I need to raise my rates, but how? And, and so for me, it, it wasn't a question of equipment because I, I, I have more or less the same equipment now that I, that I did like two years ago, but it's, it's still doing a great, great image, great quality product. Um, so it's not like it's, it's, it's anything less than it should be for like for myself and from and from my business quality standpoint the the big thing was feeling comfortable asking for a, a higher price and so um the way that i kind of started to get over that was i i i i'm sure every every videographer or every actor has sometimes gotten some sort of business inquiry that is not particularly well written or really kind of has a a couple different red flags of like okay this this could just be a random dude or like a random uh scam job or something like that and so um i i got i remember i got one of those and it, it, it wasn't particularly particularly well written but it gave me all the information that i needed like to really kind of quote appropriately and i was like you know what i'm just gonna throw this out there and if they go for it great and if not then i can probably already tell that that, that they're gonna say no anyway um, so I didn't feel like I was going to, I was at risk of losing anything financially. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to just throw this out. And I was like, $600 for one day of, of just shooting, no editing. They got back to me within a day and they were like, yeah, cool. During that time, because it was going to be like, like a longer distance thing, I was like, $600 a day to shoot plus I need travel and lodging reimbursements and things like that. And so they, they approved all of that. So it was, it was really about 800 for the entire thing. Uh, I was like, all right, can I, I'll just need... 20% or 25% or whatever it was down to, to reserve the day and reserve the rooms and all that. And they're like, cool. And then two days later, the money started showing up in my cash app. And I was like, huh, okay. Taking these incremental steps that I was like, is this real? Is this actually happening? Did I just close this deal for $600 for one day of work? And then like things continued to move forward. We shot everything. It, it, it took them a little bit to pay up um, at the end of the day, but um, they, they paid up and I was like, okay, so that's, that's my new day rate. Because I know if, that person paid this rate for this then one I'm, I'm i i put forth that number and now and i'm comfortable saying that number and then i was able to just kind of keep raising that from 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 then on and so now now i've i've, I've about doubled my day rate since then and um people are, st are still paying paying me and it's and i I'm, I'm still using kind of the same equipment i mean i've i've, I've upgraded en enough to, to justify the price point difference but um yeah, like it's it's just been fantastic.
to those that are looking to like really kind of get started and, and, and find a day rate that works for you or find an hourly rate that is going to get you what you want. The, the strategy that I've shared with all of my students that has really kind of, it's changed my life. It's changed their lives. They've come back and, and told me this is it's to really get specific about where it is that you want to be in life and, and, and what that looks like financially specific to the dollar. So you want to drive a Corvette. You want to live in a $1.4 million house in, in Sarasota, Florida, or Miami or whatever. Look at everything that's going to go into your life. The car, the house, if you want to own a boat, sure, throw that in there. Look at the insurance on all of that. Look at how much you'd probably be spending from groceries, like maintenance, Christmas presents or whatever. Like Literally everything that, that you would see yourself spending in your ideal life, put that into a spreadsheet calculate the final number of whatever that number is for that kind of say Corvette and house combo, say like it's, it's something like that. And, 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 and your number comes out to being like, say $200,000 a year. So, okay, how do I make $200,000 a year? You break it down by how much you want to work per week and how many weeks you want to work per year. Um, and then eventually you'll find out what, how much you need to make per hour to hit that goal. And then from there, you can kind of start to see the picture forming of this is how much I need to make per day that I work if I'm only working this much per year. And, and it just becomes a very easy to read mathematical expression, essentially, where you can really calculate how much you need to be making to live the life that you want. I would say if, there, if there's one piece of advice that I would give to anyone that really wants to become a filmmaker is one, to get educated, but two, to get specific about where you want to be. Um, what kind of films do you want to make? What kind of stories do you want to tell? What kind of people do you want to work with? And, and really get specific about that final image because then it, it becomes a very simple question of whenever an opportunity arises, if you know exactly where you want to go, you ask yourself the question of, is this going to help me get there? And if the answer is yes, you take it. And if the answer is no, then you leave it alone. And then from there, you ask yourself the follow-up question of, how much or to what capacity, to what extent is this going to help me reach that goal? And then that's how you prioritize. Simply by doing that, and I mean, th this applies to all areas of life, but simply by doing that, having that, that specific end goal of what that ideal filmmaking career looks like to you, you'll be able to really kind of uh, accelerate your growth to accelerate your career. And, and it, as long as you're able to be, to get explicitly honest with yourself because if there's any sort of like wishy-washiness on it then, then it, it doesn't work you have to be very very truly honest with yourself about how those things are going to impact your career and and, and if they are essentially i i've used that like that double question uh of, of is this going to help me how is this going to help me and, and being honest with myself in that way, that's helped me reach what I have today and, and to build what I have today and, and is really kind of paving the way for everything else that I have planned for, for 2022 and beyond. Thanks for listening to Creators by Moonlight. Email the show at creatorsbymoonlight at gmail.com and follow the show on social at Creators by Moonlight. <laughs>